That song is an old one, but a good one, right? He is great. We thank the Lord for his greatness. We thank the Lord for his goodness. Uh, you know, all of us have hurts. All of us have habits. All of us have hang-ups. You've probably heard that phrase before. We have hurts, we have habits, we have hang-ups. There's always something that's going to be in this life, either situationally or emotionally or relationally or spiritually, that's not going to be perfect. Uh, this world is a world of sin. And uh, some of our hurts might be physical. Uh, some of our hang-ups might be bad habits. Uh, some of our... Um, uh, some of our sin problems, and we know we have sin problems. Some of them are on the outside. Some of them are on the inside, but we all have them. And so, uh, so what we're looking at today and what we've been looking at for several weeks is this series by Jesus um, where he uh, healed all these people and he preached. And uh, this series that, that I've been presenting to you is basically all the healing miracles in the, in the Gospel of Luke, all the he healing miracles that Jesus perform performed. And um, that's basically what Jesus did. He preached and he healed. And I believe that all these hurts and all these habits, all these hang-ups, uh, these things that all of us struggle with, I believe Jesus has something to say to us, a word of comfort, uh, I believe Jesus has a touch, a healing that he can perform on our life, whether it be spiritually, emotionally, or physically. Now, I want to sh show you this next slide, why Jesus performed miracles. I hope that you don't get too bored of me showing it to you. I've showed it to you a lot. I'm not going to promise you that I'm not going to show it to you again. Uh, but as we have moved through this series, I hope that you've been able to look at these miracles. I hope that you've been able to see some of these purposes. I hope that some of these miracles that we've looked at in Luke, you've been able to see Jesus' compassion. I hope that some of these miracles that we've looked at in Luke, you've been able to see they've been in front of the Pharisees and lots of people have seen them and they validated his ministry. I hope that you've been able to see how they point to something larger than just what Jesus was doing at the time, but point to his kingdom. But they've also been vehicles of teaching. I have to tell you, each and every Monday morning, I show up, I look at the upcoming text, and I think to myself, there's so many directions that we could go with all of these healings that Jesus performed. So many things that we can learn from them. And we're certainly going to be able to learn um, from what we're going to look at this morning, this demon-possessed man who was freed from bondage. I talked about demon possession several weeks ago. Uh, you can look back on the March 5th message. There's some things that I said about that and some statements that I made about that. I'll try, I'll try not to repeat myself too much, uh, but suffice it to say that demons are as real now as they were in Jesus' day. In fact, I think it would be fair to say that the same spiritual forces that existed in Jesus' day, Satan included, are the same spiritual forces, personalities even if you want to call them, they, are, they exist today, they're active in the world today, they're all around us. We're in a spiritual battle and our enemy is merciless. He hates people. Satan and his spiritual forces, his demons, they hate people. And you know the people that they hate the most? They hate God's people. They hate you because you love the Lord. Satan hates you because the image of God in you is being restored. As you walk with the Lord, as you get to know him better, you begin to look like Christ and take upon the nature of God. And Satan hates that. 
He would much rather have you in bondage and in torment and in pain, just like this man that we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we find this man that was demon-possessed, and he was in major bondage. But Jesus worked a miracle in his life, and Jesus gave him peace, and Jesus gave him purpose. In fact, I'm just going to give you my opinion. I know you don't care about my opinion. You'd rather hear what God's Word says. But I think that Jesus made a special trip just to heal this man of his demon possession because he had a special purpose for him. There's no other reason for Jesus to have been in this place where we're going to look at today. He didn't go back there again. We don't have any teachings that recorded there. We don't have any interaction except Jesus landing on the shore, healing this demon-possessed man, and then going right back where he came from. He had a special purpose in mind for this man. Even though his life was a wreck and his life was broken, Jesus sought him out and did something amazing for him. Let's stand together as we look at this incredible passage in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 verse 26 says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. And by the way, this is a non-Jewish country, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons, plural, not just one demon, many demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert." Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him, entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and drowned. Man, that's a lot of bacon. <laughs> when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people from the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. So he got in a boat and returned. Then the man from whom the demons had gone out begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. 
God, I pray that you would just dismiss me, and I pray that you would just speak to your people. Uh, Lord, you know that I am a tainted vessel, far from imperfect, but Lord, you are glorious and you are righteous, and God, you have something to say to your people through this passage. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them, that they would hear your voice and not mine, and Lord, that you would touch them in a special way. And we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So at the Parkinson household, we've been watching The Chosen season one. Again, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen that yet, you ought to go look it up and you ought to watch. It's really, really great. They take a little bit of artistic license with some of the storylines, but it's still really, really good. And we'd seen chapter, we had seen season one before, but uh, we never did see season two. And it's been so long that we're going back and we're watching season one again. And something that I'm, I'm always struck by, um, or something that I was struck by the first time and I'm reminded of the second time going through it, is just how Jesus, he just hung out with just regular people. You know, the, the, it pictured him eating Passover and just a, you know, a, a dwelling with some regular people. And, you know, it, uh, there's a, a, another story of him, you know, uh, meeting with a group of children and teaching them and telling those children just how very special they are. And all of these stories about how Jesus just doing amazing things for some not so amazing people. That's the God that we serve. He does amazing things for just some not so amazing people, for just regular people, just like you and just like me, just normal people who might not be popular, might not be wealthy, might not be talented and gifted, uh, pe people that, you know, one day will never really remember us uh, long after we die. And this, this man is the same way. This, this guy who hung out in the graveyard and didn't wear any clothes. I mean, who cares about some crazy naked man running around in a graveyard and living in a desert. Jesus cares. Jesus cares about those types of people, about people like, people like you, people like me. He wasn't even a Jew. And I told you, I, I believe that Jesus made a special trip across the Sea of Galilee to a non-Jewish city just so that he could do something amazing in the life of this not-so-amazing man. And he took this guy whose life was a wreck, I mean an absolute mess, and he changed it from just complete chaos, and he gave him peace and he gave him purpose. And that's, that's, what I wanna, that's what I wanna get out of this story today. There's a lot, man, this story, there are so many things in this story. Man, I could chase some rabbits in this story right here. Uh, I'm gonna try as much as possible just to stay on task and talk to you today about peace and purpose and how God can give peace and purpose to someone's life who is in absolute, complete chaos. And, and this guy, if you look at the beginning, of the story, his life was a wreck. We're going to look at that real quick. But if you look at the end of the story, you can see that Jesus had given him peace and given him purpose. So let's first just look at the briefly. I want to go through some of the details uh, at the beginning of the story. So he was living a life of bondage and oppression. 
Now, I said at the beginning that I'm going to try not to repeat myself in, uh, that, from that March 5th sermon where I talked about demons and demon possession, but this guy was clearly living a life that was in bondage and oppression. Look at, look at some, of the, some of the things about him that show that his life was a wreck. First off, the Bible says he wore no clothes, that, that uh, he obviously lacked some hygiene, Definitely some self-dignity there. Didn't care. Didn't matter. He lived a life that was desolate and isolated. He lived in, among the tombs. And the Bible says that he was often driven out into the desert. He lacked meaningful relationships in his life. And when he was around people, the Scripture basically, uh, basically shows us if, uh, that um, if, we, if we look in Mark, and, and there's, a, there's a parallel to this story in both Matthew and in Mark, that basically when he was around people that he would act so crazy that people would try to restrain him. But there was something about his strength related to this demon possession and these, these thousands of demons that lived in, in, in him and controlled him, some type, of, some type of strength that he had to where he could break out of these shackles. If we were to look at Mark chapter 5, again, the parallel version to this story, we see that this man was a cutter, that he would harm himself, that he would, he would do violence to himself. Um, he would also scream and he would also wail. We, we see this in this text and again also in the parallel versions of Matthew and of Mark. So he had some type of an emotional torment going on, some type of, of spiritual torment going on. Now, when we look at all of that, taking all of that together, I, I mean if we just picked out one of these situations, we could say, okay, that's, that's, that's someone's life that is experiencing a, lot, experiencing a lot of torment, a lot of pain. But when we take all of this together and take into the extreme, man, we find a guy's life that was incredibly messed up. This is what Satan wants for you. He wants you to live a life of bondage. He wants you to live a life of pain. Because ultimately, this man's life, this, this bondage and oppression that he was facing, it wasn't just external, it wasn't just situational, it wasn't just emotional. There was a deeper spiritual issue that was taking place in his life. We see this in verse 28, and then also verse 30 through verse 32 as well. There was a spiritual battle, a demonic battle that was going on inside of him. Now, now listen, when I, when I said I could chase some rabbits in this text, this block of verses is definitely, I mean, there's, there's a dialogue that is going on between Satan and demons. There are demons that are, that are scared of Jesus, making requests of him, and almost like this negotiation that's going on back and forth, even though I don't believe that Jesus negotiates with demons, I believe he just makes commands. But these demons not wanting to go into the abyss, by the way, the abyss that is talked about here is the same abyss by which certain forces of evil are unleashed on the earth as recorded in the book of Revelation. Also recorded in the book of Revelation, this is the same abyss that Satan and his demons will ultimately be cast into. 
I mean, there's a lesson just from that. Like these demons know that that is their destiny and they're not wanting to go there yet. By the way, this is also the abyss that people who don't know Jesus are going to be cast into as recorded in the book of Revelation. But these demons, regardless of all these rabbits that I just would be so tempted to chase this morning, uh, we, see, we, see a, we see something that basically, what, so what these demons do is they say, just go away, just leave us alone. We're going to see the townspeople that are going to say the same thing to Jesus. We don't know what's going on here, but please just go away and just leave us alone. And I see a parallel between that and between how a lot of people in the world are now. They just want Jesus to just go away and to just leave them alone. That They don't want Jesus' commands. They don't want Jesus' lordship. They don't want Jesus' requirements upon them. They just, they just want to be left alone. And in this, in this spiritual battle that we fight, really we can look at it from two perspectives. Obviously, there's, there are demonic forces around us. There are satanic, demonic forces of evil, thousands of them that have been at work in the world, are work in the world, at work in the world, and will continue to be at work in the world. And when we're facing a certain measure of bondage, there, there, there is an attack that we can feel from those forces. But also, we're also battling with ourselves, with our own flesh. That's what James says in the book of James. He says, when you're tempted, you're carried away by your own desires. Now, I said, I said I wouldn't repeat myself or try not to repeat myself from the March 5th sermon. But you might recall, if you were here for that, that I made mention to the fact that if you have a temptation in your flesh, you have an evil fleshly desire that comes from you, you can't, you can't blame it on Satan. When you sin, you can't blame it on Satan. You're accountable for that. You can't, you can't say, well, the only reason I have this desire to steal or to lie or to lust or towards violence or whatever it is, is because a demon did it to you. No, you have to, that is coming from your flesh. However, if you desire to do those things and you need help facilitating those desires, there are spiritual forces in this world that are at your disposal that can help you facilitate all types of evil desires that you might have inside of you. They are waiting to serve you. There's only one spirit that's going to move you towards godliness, and that's the Holy Spirit. Your flesh does not naturally desire godliness. Your flesh desires what is sinful and is evil, and there are spiritual forces in the world that want to help you facilitate that. There is a system in this world that, that those evil desires fit perfectly in. If you're going to be godly, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit does a work inside of you and moves you in that direction. And when I, I, I just I tell you, I wish we knew the backstory. For this man. I, I wish we had the backstory of how he had gotten into all of this bondage and all of this oppre oppression. I mean, had, I mean, we're speculating. Had he made some bad choices, bad decisions? I mean, did he have a bad up, upbringing? I mean, what was it that, that brought him in, into this horrible, terrible position? Well, we, we don't really know. 
but I can't help but draw a parallel in my mind as I was, as I was praying through this message. I, I can't help but draw a parallel between this bondage that we see in this man and the bondage that we often see through addictions in our culture. We, we, are, we are an addicted culture. I mean, we so easily get addicted to, to, to good things that become God things, and that's a bad thing. And or we sometimes get addicted to things that are just all bad all the time. I mean, we have, in our culture, we have addictions to pornography. It's everywhere. Or to money and finances, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, gambling. I mean, addictions, are, they're, just, they're just everywhere. There's even people who are addicted to stress. You know, there's people who are always, they're always, they're always stressed or, or they're, they're always worried about something. They're always, they're always scared about something. It's, it's, it's almost as if, I mean, they're not living any other harder of a life than any of the rest of us. There's just something about them that's just addicted to that drama and to that fear or to, or, or to whatever it might be. We have addictions to shopping, screen time, gaming, food. We can even be addicted to exercise and to work. I think that all of these things, if we're not careful, they place us into a bondage as we open the door, and we open the door and it becomes a foothold, and then a toehold, then a stronghold, then a fortress, and the enemy has free range in our life to put us into all sorts of bondage. These people in this story, by the way, they were in bondage to fear. They were, it wasn't just this demon-possessed man that was in bondage. The townspeople were also in bondage. Again, I don't have time to really chase all of the, the rabbits here, but basically they told Jesus, we don't know what happened here, but we know that you messed up our bacon for a generation, and that's a bad thing. And so the, herds, the herdsmen and the people, they just said, we, we, just want you, we just want you to leave us alone. And it was basically because they were afraid. They were scared. But back to this man. This man who had so much bondage and oppression. And look what Jesus did. The first thing that he did was give him a life of peace. How many of you want peace? Anybody? Sign me up for that, right? Not just circumstantial, situational peace. And I, I try to talk about that a lot because it's, it's, it's not just what, what's on the outside that matters. It matters what's on the inside. We are all desperate to have peace on the inside. And if there's an individual in Scripture that did not have um, peace in his circumstances and certainly did not have peace in his heart, it was this demon-possessed man who had thousands of demons. I mean, can you imagine that? Thousands of personalities, thousands of demons that are oppressing you. He had no peace. That's why he cried out all the time. That's why he would wail, and that's why he would, he would run away, and why he ran around with no clothes, and why he cut himself and did all these things. There was something inside of him that was chaotic. It, it, wasn't just, it wasn't just the outside of his life. It was on the inside, in his heart. There was something that was just, it was just not at peace. It was just disturbed on the inside. And Jesus fixed that. 
inside of him. Because the Bible says that he was found sitting at the feet of Jesus and in his right mind. I, I, can't, I can't think of a scene more tranquil than this, this crazy naked man running around screaming and crying and cutting himself and, and going off by himself. And, and now he's, he's, he's just there with Jesus. And he's in his right mind. And in my imagination, I, I have him just, his eyes fixed on Christ and listening to every word that he says. And, and again, in my imagination, I imagine Jesus just speaking directly to him and talking to him and pouring truth and encouragement um, over him, clothed and in his right mind. You see, where Satan brings torment and disorder, Jesus brings peace. Can you imagine what was going on inside of this man? I mean, we don't really know. We know a lot of what, his, what it was before Jesus changed him on the outside, all the chaos. But can you imagine what was going on inside of his heart after Jesus cast out all of those demons? I think this is a main work of redemption that Jesus accomplishes inside of us when we're saved is he gives us peace on the inside. And things can be just going nuts around us. I mean, the whole world can just be going crazy, and all of our circumstances can be chaotic. But Jesus has the ability to do a work inside of us and give us peace. And I, I tell you, I, I wish I had more time than this. But, I mean, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that there's a lot of Christians who know Jesus, who love Jesus, and have a spiritual routine, read their Bibles all the time, pray all the time, come to church all the time, and are still missing out on the inner peace that the Holy Spirit can give. And he wasn't just giving peace. He also put him on mission. I love this part. He gave him a purpose. Jesus got in a boat, went all the way across the Sea of Galilee to a foreign country, to a Gentile people, and basically only interacted with one guy that I believe Jesus sought out so that this guy could be a missionary among the Gentiles before the apostle Paul even got saved. You have Jesus setting forth his mission to reach non-Jewish people, and he hadn't even died on the cross and been raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, hadn't even spoken the Great Commission yet. And here you have Jesus saving this non-Jewish guy and saying, hey, go back and tell everyone in the city what God has done for you. I mean, that's a good mission right there. What if today, what if you set out this week, I'm just going to go all over my city and I'm just going to tell everyone all the great things that God has done for me. How he's changed me, how he's made me into something different. You see, this man, he, he didn't want to do that. He just wanted to go with Jesus. You know, there are times we see in Scripture that Jesus will come up to someone like Peter, James, John, Matthew, all those guys, and he'll look at them and he'll say, leave everything and come and follow me. 
and they will come. And they physically walked with him while he was on the earth. And that is a call to discipleship to follow. But here we see a different call to discipleship. Not a call to travel with Jesus for those three years, but still a call to follow, to follow on mission. And this man didn't want to do that. He asked to go with Jesus. But you know, a good prayer was not answered so that a greater purpose would not be, could be accomplished. I got that from Spurgeon, by the way. I didn't make that up. I thought it was good. I thought, that's, that's, isn't, that, isn't that a great line? A, a good prayer was not answered so that a greater purpose might be accomplished. This man became Jesus' spokesman. Nobody would have chosen him. Nobody would have picked him out as Jesus' chosen person. And I think sometimes people think that about themselves. I dare say, I dare say that some of you here today might could have identified with some of this man's bondage and torment before Jesus changed him. But I dare say that probably none of you here today could say, you know what, I was exactly like that man. I ran around with no clothes and I cut myself and I screamed and wailed and I could break out of handcuffs and, and I had thousands of demons inside of me and uh, I lived out in a graveyard. I was, I was so wild and crazy. Most of, you would, most of you would not say you were that far away and that far off and that far gone. If Jesus can choose him, and change him and give him peace and give him a mission and give him a purpose, how much more do you think that you are absolutely within his reach? And I think that, I think that like I said about peace, a lot of Christians, they, they have, they're saved and they read their Bibles and they come to church, but they're missing out on that peace. I think I could say the same thing about purpose. So many Christians are missing out on the purpose for their life that God has for them. They're missing out on the mission that Jesus wants to give them. And I don't know which part of this passage resonates with you most. I just know that Jesus wants to give us a life of peace and that he wants to give us a life of purpose. So let's ask him for that, shall we? Let's all stand and let's respond to the Lord. Let's stand and let's pray. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. If you woke up this morning and you grabbed your coffee and you saw the sun rise and you listened to the birds sing and the peace of God just came over you and you said, Lord, thank you so much. You've given me so much peace. If something like that has happened to you today, this week, recently, I want you to worship God through your prayer right now. I just want you to say, thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me your peace. And I bet some of you have experienced that this week. The peace of God has come over you, and God just touched you on the shoulder, and he said, I'm with you, and I love you. And you just, you just found your heart strangely warmed before the Lord, and he gave you peace. Just, just say, thank you, God. Some of you know your purpose. Maybe you woke up this morning, same situation. And you were getting ready and you said, God, I, I know why you created me. I know what you've called me to do. 
And you had peace in your heart and you had purpose in your action and you just knew. I just want you to, I just want you to worship the Lord through prayer right now. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you for directing my life. If you're a believer and you know Jesus, you know you're saved. But you say, you know what? I hadn't had that peace, not in a while. I don't really know my purpose. It's, it's been a while since God's really given me direction. I want you to ask the Lord for it. I want you to pray and ask him for it. Ask him right now. Say, Lord, give me peace. Lord, give me purpose. Give me direction. And maybe you want to come down to the altar and pray. You can come down anytime. You can come right now. You just want to come down to the altar and just pray that prayer. You can do that. And perhaps you're sitting here today. Maybe, uh, maybe this might be your first visit. Maybe you've been coming a long time. And you say, I just don't know that I have ever felt the peace of God, ever. I don't know that the Lord has ever given me any type of direction and purpose, ever. Maybe you would, maybe you would say in your heart and in your mind right now, God has never touched me in any way. I don't ever have any recollection of having any sort of spiritual encounter with God at all. I want you to pray a different prayer. I want you to ask God to save you right now. I want you to ask God to show up in your heart right now, show up in your life, and flood you with peace and purpose like you have never experienced before. Ask him for it. Just say, Jesus, save me. Come to the altar, kneel, and pray. Or pray where you are. But you spend a few moments talking to the Lord. And even while we sing, if you need to come and kneel and pray and say, God, give me peace. God, give me purpose. Ask him for it. You pray. You talk to him.